0: It's Tuesday, January 10th. We got to talk about this national championship beatdown. What's next for TCU? What's next for Georgia? I'm going to give my way too early top 25. Everybody's doing it. Why not me? We're going to talk about the College Football Hall of Fame class for 2023. Greg Sankey calling for an end to the early signing period. Dan Lanning, the Oregon coach, has a new tattoo. And more things for you to know coming up on Winning Cures Everything. Oh, I've been watching it for 40 years. Are you kidding me? You're listening to Winning Cures Everything. Game day, baby. Wake up or get out. Here's your host: a confident young man, a superb athlete, Gary Seegers. Yeah! Welcome in, Winning Cures Everything. It is the Tuesday, January 10th edition of the show. I am your host, Gary Seegers. You can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. Hopefully, everybody is having a very nice uh, day after National Championship Day. I had to wait around a little bit to release this. I couldn't do it last night. Uh, you know, I was with the family, I was enjoying myself a little bit, just kind of celebrating, you know? Uh, it was, I mean, that game was over so fast. So fast. <laughs> We, uh, we have got a lot to discuss. This is, by the way, Season 8, Episode 3. So, going to try and keep track of all the numbers, all that good stuff. But we got a lot to talk about uh, on today's show. But first, let me go on and tell you, if you are watching the show, one thing, thank you. Number two, share the show out. Uh, tell your friends about it, all that good stuff. Uh, number three... Like the video if you're watching on YouTube. If you're on Twitter, just hit that retweet button. That, that certainly helps out. Uh, it, same thing for Facebook or wherever else this thing is going to go. Along with that, uh, if you're not subscribed to the channel, go ahead and do that. That would certainly help me out. And uh, and then, let's see. What else have we got? Oh, oh jump in the chat. I want to know what town you are watching from or listening from, listening in, watching in, whatever you want to call it. Where are you? Put your town, put your city in the chat. That would certainly help us out. We want to know where you guys are, for sure. Uh, The show, brought to you each and every time out by BetUS. It is America's premier online sportsbook. You guys know how this works. They have a fantastic group of customer service people. They are awesome. They do fast payouts. It's incredibly easy to navigate. Go and check out the website. Very easy stuff to do. And, of course, there is a link in the description. You click on that link. And you can sign up for a $50 free play with no deposit required. You don't have to actually put in money in order to get some kind of a bonus. They're going to give you $50 to play with right there for free. All you got to do is sign up. So go ahead and click that link that's in the description. Make sure you check it out. BetUS, it is where the game begins. Now, let's move on. Let's jump into the actual show here. And, uh, whew, boy. Let's, let's just start it off with what it is. Georgia just smacked TCU. Absolutely destroyed the Horned Frogs in the National Championship game on Monday night in SoFi Stadium. 65-7. to And Georgia even missed an extra point at the end. I mean, this was, it, this was so one-sided. I, I, can't, I don't even really know where to begin with it. Uh, It is the most dominant performance in a title game that I have ever seen. And looking back on it, I mean, we all knew. We all knew the difference in the talent here. We saw when Georgia is focused, when they are ready, and they are going up against a team that is outmanned. I mean, we saw it in game one against Oregon. This is just a dominant, dominant football team Uh, From a talent perspective, from a coaching perspective, from a developmental perspective, this team is awesome. Uh, I'm going to pull up on the screen just to kind of show you, first off, we we got a lot of things to talk about with this game, but Stetson Bennett, 18 out of 25 for uh, 304 yards, four touchdowns passing. No interceptions. I mean, the guy was awesome. He also ran the ball three times for 39 yards and two touchdowns. Stetson Bennett was the MVP of this game. That makes him a four-time playoff playoff game MVP. The guy is unbelievable. Is he a dynamic NFL talent? Probably not. Is he an unbelievable college quarterback? Absolutely. And the fact that he's 25 years old, yeah, that probably helps a little bit. The guy's been around the block. He knows what's going on in these games. He he's incredibly smart. His his IQ on a football field is way way up there. Is he going to play in the NFL? Probably. Is he going to be a starter in the NFL? Probably not. Like he doesn't have the best arm, but he's got a really good one. He doesn't always make the best decisions, but when he's in a high-pressure situation, he does. I mean, my goodness, that the, the guy has grown so much from what he was in that 2020 season. It is just mind-blowing to see, Even even from last season. If you watched him against Alabama, when Georgia needed him to be able to come back and score points, he was confused. He did not look great. And yet this year, I mean, he was, I think he was the team MVP. He was unbelievable. And so Stetson Bennett, it. I mean, just absolutely ridiculous. This was the most points scored in a national championship game in history. It was the biggest, if, if you count this as a bowl game, it was the biggest margin of victory in a bowl game ever. I mean, it, <laughs> I don't know how many more ways you can spin this thing. I mean, it was just, uh, this thing got to 10 to nothing. And then TCU makes a little run. There was a blown coverage by uh, Georgia's secondary. TCU scores a little Max Duggan, uh, you know, not, not necessarily a designed run, but, eh, he seeps through and finds his way into the middle of the defense and, and scores a touchdown. It's 10-7. to 7. TCU could not get a stop on this offense. And this offense is not the one that is, you know, super loaded with talent. I mean, this was Ladd McConkey and Stetson Bennett. Like, these are guys that have been developed. Like, yes, they've got some burners. Yes, they've got some good running backs. The biggest difference in this game was at the line of scrimmage. Football is still fundamentally the same game that it has been since, you know, the, the late 1800s. If you are better at the line of scrimmage, more times than not, you are going to win the football game. And Georgia is the best in the country at developing linemen. They are unbelievable. They are nasty. They've got attitude, and they have push. I mean, good gracious. Uh, TCU's offensive linemen had no idea what to do with that defensive line. No clue. And the same could be said for TCU's defensive linemen. That 3-3-5, that Joe Gillespie spill and kill, has been fun to watch all season. It had no chance in this game. No chance they could not get home. Absolutely not. They, Stetson Bennett baited some of those guys into these rushes that he turned into yardage. I mean, it was just, it was masterful to watch. And what Todd Munkin has done with that offense is just something to behold. Like, if he stays there again this year, if he doesn't end up in the NFL, if he doesn't whatever, yeah, this guy knows football. He knows offense. He has taken the pieces that he has, And created just an unstoppable force with it. It, Just unbelievable what they were able to do in this game. Uh, Kirby, if you haven't gone on Twitter, go and find Kirby's locker room speech. You want to talk about fire? You want to talk about running through a wall for a coach? Now, don't get me wrong. It's not safe for work. We're not going to play it on the show. But this man gets it. This man knows what's up. And it's very very entertaining to listening or to listen to uh next thing I want to talk about oh Georgia middle of the third quarter Georgia released their hypno dog video on Twitter uh, now I'm not gonna show it but man uh you want to talk about nuts I mean just the fact that they did it in the third quarter like early third quarter uh I was a little shocked that they didn't wait until the end of the game just a little bit shocked because I know how Kirby smart is like he he's one of those guys that's not uh, the game is over when it's over like you play the entire 60 minutes you do not celebrate you don't do anything like that until the clocks hit, or the clock hit zero period and that just I mean it floored me floored me uh, I did want to bring this up so cover two figures the this guy on Twitter he has got just a beautiful. Beautiful graphic that he uses every now and then. Uh, this is the the drive chart, the drive map, and you see how many Georgia drives actually turned into touchdowns. Like it's it's mind blowing to look at this. So if you want to see it, like obviously you can go to at Cover Two Figures or just go and follow me at Gary WCE on Twitter, of course, because uh, I, I shared it out. But man. Uh, Georgia scored on 10 of 11 drives, not including kneel downs, uh, and they had touchdowns on 9 of 11 drives. TCU only managed one drive inside the 40-yard line. Like, they did score on that one, so that's good. But they, they could get nothing done. Nothing done. It just it, it blew my mind to see this. Georgia's average starting field position was their own 34. TCU's their own 23. Echo rate? Which are drives with the scoring opportunity, that's that's Parker's thing. Uh, .92 for Georgia and 0.08 for TCU. Uh, total EPA per drive. Georgia 2.68, TCU negative 1.79. I I can't I can't make it any any brighter than that. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. What what we witnessed was complete and total domination in this game. Just unreal to see what happened. Uh, and then, of course, towards the end there, you all saw the rain coming into SoFi Stadium, which it, it rarely rains in L.A., but when it does, eh. You know, SoFi has a has a roof over the stadium. It's a roof over the field. They don't have walls. So that storm came in, and it was only raining on TCU fans. I mean, just adding insult to injury. Adding insult to injury. I did want to hit on this. A lot of players were bringing up the fact that, and this, how about this? We'll start this over, because I I do want to maybe clip this one. Georgia players, especially Stetson Bennett, have said multiple times that everybody doubted us. And the media just laughs it off as, yeah, 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 you were doubted, you were number three in the country. Like, yeah, at at one point this season, you were number three. You, You got doubted, of course. Everybody doubted you. The media laughs it off. The truth of the matter is, yes, a lot of people doubted these guys. Myself included. Like, and now, I still knew that there was talent on the roster. But in the preseason, I had them losing to Tennessee. I had them losing one game. I had them losing in the SEC championship game to Alabama. Uh, I did not predict them to win back-to-back championships. So, Yes. I did doubt them. And for them to be able to perform at the level that they did, they have to have that chip on their shoulder. They had to feel like they were doubted. And yes, again, they were doubted. They lost 15 guys to the NFL last year. How could you not be doubted? There, As soon as that national championship game was over, myself included, along with a lot of other media members, We're trying to figure out whether or not Georgia was going to start a different quarterback. We didn't believe in Stetson Bennett. So yes, there was doubt. For people to say that there was no doubt in Georgia is comical. Just go back a few months. It was not that long ago. Yes, people doubted Stetson Bennett. Yes, people doubted this Georgia team. Should we have? Eh, you go back and watch that Ohio State game and eh. You go back and watch the Missouri game, yeah. You know it's not like this team was completely dominant like this all season. Obviously, there were doubts, but they obviously ended up one of the best football teams that we have ever seen. Fifteen and zero—that's pretty difficult to do. This team is twenty-nine and one in the last two seasons. They got two national championships. They've got a strong, strong case. How about this a strong possibility of going, you know, back to back to back? Three peat, if you will. That's it. Kirby holding up that third finger last night was comical. He was he was playing to the crowd. He was playing to the crowd. What is next for TCU after just a complete and utter uh beating? Well, uh, I think that this season could be could be looked at as a good thing. Right? Obviously. I mean, you make it to a national championship game and your TCU, uh, especially year one of a coach's tenure, that's a good thing. Uh, You made it to the national championship game with a coach that you did not expect, or excuse me, with a quarterback that you didn't even have starting in game one. Let's uh, let's pull up what this team is losing. They're losing a four-year starter at quarterback. They're losing more than 70% of their rushing attempts. They're losing more than 70% of their passing targets. At least two offensive line starters. And that doesn't even account for defense. Of course, this uh, tweet from Parker, at Stats of War. I mean, Parker said this roster was at the top of its development cycle in both 21 and 22, thanks to the COVID year. Like, this team was set up right now. You're going to lose Quentin Johnston. You're losing Max Duggan. You know, the two names on the team. You're probably going to lose the running back, Kendra Miller. You're losing DeMarcado. You're losing linemen. You're losing some of those transfers that came in for one season. It's going to be tough. However, what this did was show that TCU is a good program for other players. It helped with the recruiting. It helped with the transfer portal. You saw all the guys that they have already gotten in the transfer portal, and they're just going to keep bringing them in. Uh, That doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to be back in the Big 12 title game again next year. Uh, A lot of that depends on the quarterback situation, etc. But this demolition that they just suffered in the national championship game does not take away from how much fun this season was and how good that program can be in the new Big 12 going forward. I look for big things from TCU going forward. So I think that this is going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, once TCU kind of kind of wipes the stain of this off of them, you know, they'll get home back to Fort Worth, they'll take a shower, and they'll be able to celebrate a little bit the Hypnotoad and everything else that this season brought. Um, I did have a lot of fun with the, the fact that Gary Patterson was actually in the audience last night. <laughs> I said, you bring Gary Patterson back in the building, this is what happens. Uh, it's all in jest, obviously. But this program is headed in the right direction. Sonny Dykes, obviously a good coach. Doesn't look like they're going to lose any of their coaches right now. I mean, obviously we'll see. Who knows? But, yeah, this this is a team and a program that is headed in the right direction. Nothing to hang their heads about about this season. Not at all. Not at all. All right. Let's go on and do it. Gary's too early top 25. I'm Gary, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> in case you didn't know. Uh, let me write down the time. Gary's way too early, top 25. I'm gonna start at the bottom. I'm gonna tell you the ones that I do not have in the top 25 to start us off. Okay. Just to get this out of the way, let you guys know exactly uh where these teams are. UCLA, Texas A&M, I don't have in the top 25. Uh I think they they will definitely I think AM will definitely be improved. UCLA Got to prove it to me with the quarterback situation. Uh, obviously, they got good players. I do trust Chip Kelly, but that defense was woof. Uh, really bad, really bad. a and I mean, there's all kinds of, you guys know. Uh, we'll see what Bobby Petrino brings to that offense. Texas Tech, I don't have in, although they were right there for me. We'll see what this team looks like next year. Um, had some close, you know, one-score wins, etc. But but that, that's a fun team going forward. South Carolina, we got a lot of movement. With South Carolina, right? Transfer portal, et cetera. they got a lot of guys coming in. Uh, That's a – I want to know what's going on with Spencer Rattler. I I need to know a lot of things. Uh, Juice Wells said that he is coming back, so I would imagine Rattler's probably coming back. But we'll see. Arkansas, I do not have in. Again, transfer portal stuff, uh, you know, and losing Barry Odom. What's that going to do? We'll we'll see about Arkansas. I do like AJ Jefferson. Um, TCU. I do not have in. I just showed you what they're losing next year. Uh, they need to prove it to me. This is not a program like some of these others where when you lose a bunch of that top-end talent, I'm just going to slot you right back in uh, to the top ten, top five, whatever. I, I need to see a few things, okay? Uh, I, I didn't like the Sonny Dykes hire for a reason uh, initially. Now, now, I mean, it looks like a lot of fun. It's obvious he's a good coach, etc. Uh, but he always had those late-season swoons. It felt like people figured out his offense, etc. Uh, still, I still need to see something from TCU before I can rank him this year, going into this 2023 season. All right, 25 through 21. Number 25, I've got North Carolina. Number 24, Tulane. Number 23, Troy. Number 22, Duke. Number 21, NC State. NC State just got Brennan Armstrong, the Virginia quarterback, out of the portal. They hired the offensive coordinator, Robert Anai. Uh, Duke has got Riley Leonard coming back. That's certainly going to be a good thing. And then, of course, year two of a Mike Oko defense always seems to improve. Troy, uh, John Summerall just started. They are going to lose some dudes, but uh, I think that's still going to be a really, really good defense. Tulane, how much of a loss is Tajay Spears? I think that's going to be a, a huge thing to look at, but they do have Michael Pratt coming back. I think Tulane could run the AAC for a little while, especially with UCF, Houston, and Cincy leaving. Uh, North Carolina, you got Drake May coming back. I, I thought about putting TCU at 25 instead. I, I trust Drake May. I don't know about the offensive coordinator hire of Chip Lindsey. I'll just say that. Uh, moving to 20 through 16, number 20, Wisconsin. I trust Luke Vickle. And Phil Longo coming in, the transfer portal has already been incredibly kind to them. Uh, SMU quarterback Tanner Mordecai has transferred in. I think he's going to be a good day one starter for them. Uh, I like Wisconsin. Uh, number 20. Number 19, Ole Miss. I trust Lane Kiffin, too. I don't think the defense is great, but I do think year two of Jackson Dart in Lane Kiffin's system is going to be good. Uh, they've still got Judkins, the running back. they still got a good line. I I like Ole Miss a little bit. Number 18, Oregon State. I thought about putting them higher. I need to see DJU in this offense. That's what I need to see. Uh, I trust Jonathan Smith. I think they're going to do insanely good things. Uh, this team has the possibility of going much, much higher on this list. But I've got them at 18 for now. Number 17, Kansas State. This one's interesting. Chris Kleiman has proven time and time again that he is an incredible Big 12 coach. A very, very good coach. Um... They lose Deuce Vaughn. Who, uh, who's going to step up and be the guy? Like, is Malik Knowles coming back? I'm, I'm not certain about that. Uh, they do have Will Howard coming back. So, you know, Will Howard, massive step forward this year. Uh, we'll see what year two of the new O.C.'s uh, tenure looks like. Um, that's Colin Klein, by the way. Number 16, I've got Oklahoma. I know they weren't great this year. I know they had a losing record. I understand that. Year two of Brent Venables should be a lot better than year one. I think year two for that defense is certainly a step in the right direction. I think having Dylan Gabriel come back is a good thing. I think they obviously need some depth. They're getting Jackson Arnold in. That's good. I don't know much about the running back situation. Although uh, Eric Gray, like losing him certainly hurts. I think they got some dudes there though, and I think that the Lions are going to be just fine, especially in the Big 12. Uh, this year was a a weird one for that bunch. I expect them to get back to their winning ways this season. 15 through 11. Number 15, I've got Utah. You got Cam Rising coming back. You got Brent Keithy coming back, uh, and it's a Kyle Whittingham team. So number 15 there. Number 14 might be surprising. Clemson. I got to see more from Ked Clubnik. I need to see more from that coaching staff. They got the dudes, uh, but this team has just been underwhelming for the last two years. Uh, I need to see more out of Dabo's bunch. Number thirteen, Notre Dame. This is a team that could rise significantly higher for me, but they need somebody for Sam Hartman to throw the ball to. They got running backs. They got a great line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Uh, defense, I think, is still really good. I need to see. I need to see who's going to throw it to. Just need to see that. Number 12, I've got Oregon. Uh, Bo Nix coming back. It certainly helps things out. And Dan Lanning is, I'm going to say, cleaning up in the portal. Uh, I think the defense is going to be significantly improved this year, especially at the line of scrimmage. Number 11, Texas. You got dudes. You got Isaiah Nair coming back. Uh, now, they did just lose uh, Brennan Marion, their passing game coordinator. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little while. But um, there are... I've, I've got questions about Texas, and and I know they went 8-5 and five this year. I still think that they can be really, really good. Uh, I think Quinn Ewers was hurt for a good portion of this season. I think that they can be better. So I will uh, I will put Texas at number 11. So let's move to the top 10. Number 10, I've got Tennessee. Yes, I understand Vol fans are going to be incredibly hyped up after that big win over uh, Clemson in the Orange Bowl. I know that. But I still need to see either Milton or Nico at quarterback. And it. trust me, I think that Heupel is going to have this offense clicking. I, I'm with you. I get it. I don't think the loss of Alex Golesh is that big of a deal, especially for this team. I need to see the defense play a little bit better. I'm curious what the losses on the line of scrimmage are going to mean because they had some dudes... Absolutely had some dudes that were brought in by Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, Can Heupel recruit that line of scrimmage? So that's number 10 for Tennessee. Number nine, Washington. They got Penix back. Kalen DeBoer is always awesome. If they can get the defense shored up, this this could be a playoff competitor this year. They could be a Pac-12 competitor as well. Number eight, USC. I expect big things from Caleb Williams again. Uh, They're keeping Alex Grinch as defensive coordinator. They got to up the talent on the defensive side of the ball. Number seven, I've got Michigan at number seven. I think losing Biff Pogge is going to be a bigger deal than people seem to believe. On top of that, you suffer a loss like they did in the playoff. Mm. The schedule is not as kind this coming season. And along with that, yeah, Blake Corum's coming back, and Donovan Edwards is coming back, and J.J. McCarthy's coming back, but this team did not win games with their offense. Like, they just didn't. Like, it, the offensive line is going to lose some pieces. Uh, they have cleaned up a little bit in the portal. But I, I've got Michigan substantially lower than uh, quite a few people. Like, they got that win over Ohio State. Man, you look back on it, that thing feels a little flukish. Uh, Michigan fans, don't bash me for that. I mean, my gosh, you guys played the game and you won it, and you want it going away. But still, eh, I've got questions. Especially because we don't know what's going to happen with the Harbaugh with the NCAA stuff. I mean, it's just who knows? Who knows? Uh, number six, I have Alabama. Uh, this is another one. I expect that um, I expect Ty Simpson is going to be the quarterback. Now, there's going to be a competition between him and Milrow. Jace McClellan, I think, is probably going to be your starting running back next year. I think uh, you still got plenty of guys on defense as well, but you're going to lose your starting safety. Uh, you're losing Branch, you're losing Battle, you're losing... Um, are you losing Battle? I, I think he's a senior. I think he's like a fifth-year. I don't I don't know. I can never tell about eligibility anymore. None of it makes sense. But, um, Alabama, you know, you lose Bryce Young, you lose Will Anderson. Eh, we'll see. Is that Could that actually be good for this team? I, who knows? Um, I know some of y'all think that's crazy. But, yeah, we'll see. Number five, I have Florida State. They got a whole bunch of dudes coming back. Year four for Mike Norvell. They are cleaning up in the transfer portal again. They had a pretty decent recruiting class. Uh, this team, this team looks legit. They are fired up. Uh, I like Florida State. Number four. I know my I know my top twenty five looks different than a lot of people. Number four, I have Penn State. I am a Drew Aller, Aller however you want to say it. I'm a Drew believer. I will say that they got a great running back duo. The offensive line and the defensive line look incredibly strong. That defense under Manny, uh, excuse me, Manny Diaz, is awesome. Like I think they're only going to get better uh, in year two under Manny. Yeah, Penn State. This is a this is a buy on Penn State for me. Uh, number three, the LSU Tigers. I, look, Brian Kelly's got a bunch of dudes coming back. They got the wide receivers. They got the quarterback coming back. Uh, Jaden Daniels is going to be the starter. We'll see what ends up happening after that. But man, uh, this team is pretty loaded. They got a lot of defensive guys that that were injured that are coming back. This team is going to be loaded. Uh, year two with Matt House, uh, Mike Denbrock's offense wasn't great, but they don't need them to be great. I I, I think this team's going to be really really good again. Number two, Ohio State. And I know you're going, well, Gary, TCU lost their quarterback, their Heisman Trophy finalist quarterback, and and you've got them out of the top 25. Ohio State, they're losing all kind of guys. Ohio State replaces talent. They just do. And part of me wonders, uh, this team is going to be pretty fired up after what happened losing to Michigan, what happened uh, losing in the playoff game the way that they did, I think the guys that are left over on this team are going to be fired up. And year two of a Jim Knowles defense. Year two of a Jim Knowles defense. I think this defense is going to be lights out next year. They got a ton of dudes. Just a ton of dudes. And then, number one, I have Georgia. I don't think I need to explain too much about that. I know that they're losing Stetson Bennett. I don't think it matters. This is a team that is not quarterback dependent. This team could win with anybody. Back then, not anybody. They needed Stetson for multiple games this year. Uh, But the way that this team is set up right now, and against the schedule that they have in 2023, they can win against anybody. And you give somebody 12 games to develop at the quarterback position, yeah, I think they'll probably be ready, you know, by the SEC championship by playoff time. So, not too shabby. Let me know if you agree or disagree. On the other side, we're going to talk about Greg Sankey calling for an end to the early signing period. Uh, we're going to talk about the College Football Hall of Fame class, and we got to talk about Dan Lanning's new tattoo. First, let's do this. Let's check out some things you should know about.
1: College football is back, and Bet US TV has you covered. Every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we've got expert game analysis to help you make informed decisions before kickoff, only on the Bet US TV College Football channel.
0: Visit winningcureseverything.com to find everything you need to know about us, including full shows in video or podcast form, gambling picks, merch, the gear we use, and more. If you want more content from me, Gary, visit betustv.com. I host the How to Gamble on Sports Show and, from August through January, the BetUS College Football Show. You can subscribe to both on YouTube. Back to the show. All right, let me tell you right quick, Valtimary SurfCo. They are a collegiate town apparel company. Fantastic shirts, I'm telling you. The material feels incredibly comfortable. Click the link in the description. Use the promo code Gary10. That is G-A-R-Y-1-0. You can get 10% off of your order. Along with that, you need to check out Flow Sports. There's a link in the description for them as well. Over 25,000 different sports matches, you got MMA, you got D3 football, even more in there, go and check it out, Just, just go click on the link and check it out, see what all they've got, and I would highly, highly recommend it, I've got them, I think that you'll like it as well, I think you will as well, All right, Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, calls for an end to the early signing period. Now, let's go on and pull it up on the screen here so that you can see exactly what I'm looking at. Uh, he said, there we go, this is over at Saturday Down South, but it I think it originated at The Athletic. He said that the college football calendar is not working, and he wants to end December's early signing period, and, and I tend to agree with him. Uh, you have bowl prep, you have the transfer portal window. Uh, this thing was opened in December of 2017. Right,, um, I believe that's right. Maybe it says, it. yeah, he introduced in December 2017 for the 2018 recruiting cycle. Uh, this was before the NCAA transfer portal, which launched in October 2018. This is this is what uh, Greg Sankey said. He said, we're crushing coaches in December. We're going to add playoff games in December. We have to change early signing. Now, Mark Stoops also voiced support for changing the calendar. He said, I was in favor. I was voting for the early signing period, but I think now this month is so crazy. I don't know. I think we just got to get together and have some great leadership and some discussions about how to improve this process. Now, here's what we're looking at. The postseason transfer portal window opened on December 5th. The early signing period was held December 21st through the 23rd. When this thing was done years ago... The early signing period that everybody was was pulling for was in July or August. You know, uh, something along those lines where kids that wanted to go ahead and commit early, that and in, in, we were not expecting it to be everybody, but those that just wanted to shut down their recruitment could go ahead and do it. Just get it over with. And instead, what we did is we sped up the process two months early. That helped nobody. Absolutely nobody, because now these schools are using it as, hey, I can't guarantee you that there's going to be a spot here in February. If somebody else takes your spot, well, it is what it is. So these kids feel pressured to have to go ahead and make their decision early. Now, in some cases, that's good. Go ahead and get it out of the way. You don't have to go through all the recruitment and whatnot in January, in February, uh, well, early, early February. But it changes things, right? So if you had gone ahead and done it to where they could, you know, do it after their junior year, heading into their senior year of high school, they can go ahead and commit. They can go ahead and sign the paper. Everything's done. I mean, it would cut back on some of these uh, some of these coaches pulling scholarship offers, and you would figure out which ones are actually real scholarship offers as well, right? Those that allow these kids to sign, yeah, those are real offers. Doesn't matter what they go end up doing in their senior year. Uh, those kids have real offers no matter what. I'm very curious what they end up doing. Do they end up pushing this thing back into you know early August or sometime around there? Or do they just do away with the early signing period uh, at, uh, like at all? Do they just completely wipe this thing out? I might would be in favor of just going back to setting this thing up so that it's in February. I think it makes more sense in February, to be completely honest. You've got your transfer portal, that thing closes here pretty soon in January, and then you move on to the high school recruiting in February, very beginning of February, and then you've got spring practice in March and April, and then you move into NFL draft and whatnot, and then in May, or I guess late April and May, you have another transfer portal window. And then you're getting ready for summer uh, training and all that kind of mess. Like, the calendar needs to be fixed, obviously. But there are ways to make this thing work. And Greg Sankey being the first to publicly state that this thing needs to be done away with, at least the first commissioner that I've heard, uh, cheers to him for coming out and actually saying it. Because it's, it's pretty important. Pretty important. All right, moving along. The College Football 2023 Hall of Fame class. This is a... Big deal every single year, and there's always, always big names on it. So let's take a look at it. Eric Berry, the defense back from Tennessee. Michael Bishop, quarterback, Kansas State, Reggie Bush. That's right. He's going to be in the College Football Hall of Fame. He can't have his Heisman Trophy back, but he can be in the Hall of Fame. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Dwight Freeney, defensive end out of Syracuse. Robert Gallery, offensive tackle from Iowa. LaMichael James, the running back from Oregon. Derek Johnson, linebacker out of Texas. Bill Kolar, defensive tackle from Montana State. Luke Keekley, linebacker from Boston College. Jeremy Macklin from Missouri, wide receiver and kick returner. Uh, you've got Terrence Mathis, wide receiver from New Mexico. Bryant McKinney, offensive tackle from the U. Then you got Corey Moore, defensive lineman from Virginia Tech. Michael Stonebreaker, linebacker from Notre Dame. Tim Tebow, quarterback out of Florida. That's right, Tebow is now a Hall of Famer. Troy Vincent, defensive back from Wisconsin. Brian Westbrook from Villanova, of course, FCS program, uh, running back. And the University of Memphis' first ever member of the College Football Hall of Fame is D'Angelo Williams. It's pretty awesome. Now, you've got four coaches that are going in. You have Monty Cater uh, from Lakeland and from Shepard. You have Paul Johnson from Georgia Southern, Navy, and Georgia Tech. You have, this is a surprising one, Roy Kramer. He was a head coach at Central Michigan from 1967 through 1977. He had a 71.8% winning percentage. But Roy Kramer was the commissioner of the SEC who did the first expansion for the SEC, bringing in South Carolina and Arkansas. And then he's the one that created the conference championship game. So, Roy Kramer, knocking it out. I got to double check and make sure that's the same guy. <laughs> now that I am thinking about it, uh, and then Mark Richt, Mark Richt. Uh, let's see, Roy F. Kramer. Let's see, let's see. Yep, yeah, he—that is correct. He was a head coach at East Lansing High School. Yes, it's the same guy. Who? Thank the good Lord. I almost made a fool out of myself. Uh, Mark Richt, one seventy-one and sixty-four at Georgia and Miami. Uh, so, over 72% winning percentage, or almost 73% winning percentage. Uh, Mark Richt gets into the Hall of Fame. Cheers to that. Uh, pretty fun class this year. Reggie Bush getting in, Tim Tebow getting in, Mark Richt getting in, and uh, Paul Johnson. I mean, those are all names that I feel like everybody everybody knows, Every, or at least everybody should know. All right. got to talk about it. Dan Lanning, the Oregon head coach, has a new tattoo. And I did not anticipate this being a topic of conversation, and yet here we are. Here we are. This is Dan Lanning's family. His beautiful wife, his three handsome, healthy young boys, and that's uh, Caden, Niles, and Titan. And this is his new tattoo. It says each of the kids' names are tattooed on Sophia's neck. A cross necklace represents their Christian faith. And it says also on Sophia's neck is a yellow ribbon. It is the only color on the entire tattoo because it carries the most weight. Uh, she had bone cancer and uh, and then, you know, healed from it. So uh, she has recovered. Um, she's been cancer-free for five years as of May. Here is Dan Lanning's tattoo and how it represents his coaching career. Number one here, you have his time at Park Hill South high school in Kansas city, Missouri area code eight one six. That is of course over next to her ear. And then you have number two university of Pittsburgh. He was a GA at Pitt, which is right there. You have Arizona state university where he was a GA and a recruiting coordinator in 2012 and 2013. Uh, That is number three. That is a, right on her temple. Number four, Sam Houston State. You have a State of Texas uh, logo uh, right there, Yeah, right, right under the collarbone, I guess you could say. Uh, you do have the University of Alabama, where he was a GA for a national championship team in 2015. Uh, you've got the UA, uh, kind of where a teardrop tattoo would normally be. Then you've got number six, University of Georgia. Uh, you've got Georgia beating Alabama 33 to 18 in the national championship game. Uh, he was the outside linebackers coach, and then he was the defensive coordinator when they won their national championship 33 to 18. That's right there above the eyebrow, and then you've got number seven. He is the head coach at the University of Oregon, and you have the wings and the O right there on the neck. Now he does. He's got a boomerang on there, which uh, we believe is because of the fact that he met his wife at Outback Steakhouse when they both worked there. He does not have one for the two years that he was at the University of Memphis as the inside linebackers coach and recruiting coordinator. Um, But again, we, we also, you know, I don't know if we're seeing all of this tattoo or if it's completed or whatever. So who knows? But I was a little bit shocked. This is on the side of his body. I was not expecting um, a huge tattoo on a head coach's side. I will tell you that. A lot of people talk about AJ McCarron's tattoos on his chest and whatnot. I uh, would not have imagined this being a thing, and yet here we are. So, uh, thing is kind of cool. Tattoos that have meaning are pretty big to me. Uh, I have, I have multiple tattoos. Uh, I have quite a few on my shoulders on my arm etc all of them have meaning all have to do with my family etc uh the way that i was brought up and whatnot so yeah I'm, I'm never gonna bash on somebody for having tattoos that may or may not look a little different than what you would expect right but either way uh it is it is an interesting tattoo i will say that i'm curious everybody else's thoughts toss them in the comments i want to know what you guys think about this uh, we're gonna hit some more ads right quick on the other side. Boy, we got some things that you need to know. We certainly do. We got a lot of transfers, we got some other things that are popping up. We're just gonna hit them really quickly, but let's uh, let's go on and do this thing first. Let's check out some things you should know about. Follow the show on Twitter at Winning Cures, and you can follow Gary at GaryWCE. You can also follow on Facebook. Got your own podcast or web show, looking to start one, or you're just curious how we look and sound so good? Well, we've got all the gear that we use listed on our gear page on the website. And if you order using our links, you'll be supporting the show too. Subscribe on YouTube to get not only full Winning Cures Everything shows, but individual segments and other goodies as well. We're over 6,000 subscribers, and our goal by the end of the year is 7,500. If you're interested in advertising on a show that reaches over 80,000 unique football fans per month during the season, send an email to Gary at winningcureseverything.com and we'll put together a plan that best fits you or your business. And now, back to the show. All right, let me go ahead and tell you again, thank you. For consuming the show, however, it is that you're doing it, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on YouTube, whether it is on the podcast. If you would, make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. Tell your friends about it, share it out, of course, and jump in the comments. I want to know what city or town you are listening from and what you like about the show. I, I want some feedback. Give me, uh, give me some thoughts on what it is that you would change about the show, uh, whether or not you like it, etc. I just, I want to hear from you guys. So let me know. Uh, Click that thumbs up button. Click the like button. If you would, that would certainly certainly help things out algorithmically. That's right. On the back end, it it helps out somehow. I don't know how this stuff works, but, uh, but I've been told that likes and comments certainly help out. So toss them in there for me. I appreciate you guys. All right. Things that you need to know that are going on in college football right now. We got a lot of them. Arizona State and Colorado, it appears, are going to play in Week 0. Now, I don't know a ton about this, but that seems like a pretty good matchup to me. Uh, I mean, you got uh, Kenny Dillingham's first game, and you got Deion Sanders' first game, and you're going to do it. I mean, it's a conference game. Uh, Yeah. Like, hook me up. Give me this. Um, Let's see. Reports are... And this is over at... Sports Illustrated. Let's pull it up. Let's see. Next season will begin with a bang as Colorado reportedly will travel to Arizona State in Week 0, according to ESPN's Kirk Herbstreet. Herbstreet made the announcement with five minutes left in Monday's National Championship, citing information Buffalo's coach Deion Sanders gave him Monday evening. On game day with us, he actually gave us some news. This is for you, Herbstreet told Fowler during the broadcast. Uh, Colorado's going to open up with Arizona State in their first game, and then they're going to play TCU in their second game. Well, TCU is in Week 1. So, obviously, Arizona State would have to be week zero. Um, I think this is going to be awesome. Like, I think this is that's a fun, fun matchup. A fun coaching matchup, for sure. Number two on this list. Minnesota Offensive Coordinator Kirk Soroka. Soroka. However you want to say it. He is leaving Minnesota again. That's right. He came back for one round with P.J. Fleck. And he is headed back out again. He is going to be the new Offensive Coordinator at Rutgers. Now, how did this come about? Was this Minnesota saying, hey, Tanner Morgan's gone, we don't need you anymore? Was this Minnesota saying, hey, even with all this talent that we had this year, eh, our offense was still kind of eh, we're going to look for somebody else? Or was this just Soraka not really liking P.J. Fleck? I mean, this is the second time that he's left now. Remember, he left for Penn State first, and now he came back, and who knows? We thought Minnesota was going to be a lot better. They did deal with a lot of injuries this year. Uh, Number three, Washington State hires defensive coordinator Jeff Schmetting, who, of course, was the D.C. at Auburn this year. And they hired the offensive coordinator Ben Arbuckle. Now, Ben Arbuckle may not be a name that you know right off the top of your head, but if you saw what Western Kentucky was able to do on offense this year, that was Ben Arbuckle. He is a young, young dude. I think he was 26 when he was hired at Western Kentucky. He might be 27 now. Like young, young guy, and um, and he's going to be an OC at Washington State. You can't really turn down those kind of opportunities. But he did uh, he did some good things at Western Kentucky this year. This is a big reason, by the way, why uh, the Western Kentucky coach would want to leave. Would want it, it, like people thought it was nuts that he was going to try and get that UAB job. But I mean, Tyson Helton, it, what are you going to do? In Conference USA. You don't have the money. Like, you can't keep your staff. So, Ben Arbuckle is a... Descendant, I guess you could say, of Zach Kittley. Uh, Kittley, of course, now at Texas Tech. But, gracious me. Um <coughs> Excuse me. UNLV has hired Brennan Marion as their new offensive coordinator. And his go-go offense at Howard. And I think he was somewhere else along with that. Um... But he was the, the pit wide receiver coach for uh, Addison. Um, Marion has been at Texas, and he was the passing games coordinator and the wide receivers coach. Uh, I think Marion's going to do some good things here. I, I really like him as the OC at UNLV, much more so than I liked Bobby Petrino. Uh, this is a good spot for him in... Um, oh, my goodness. What is the UNLV coach's name? I just went blank. Uh <laughs> Uh, Barry Odom, Barry Odom, good gracious, I feel like a buffoon at this point. I got so much information just swimming in my head. Uh, number five here, Liam Cohen. That's right. I talked about this on the last show. Liam Cohen is in fact going to leave the Rams. Of course, since I put up that, uh, since I put up that video last week, turns out the Rams may be looking for an entirely new coaching staff because Sean McVay may not be there. Now this is not an NFL show so we're not going to dive into all that but goodness gracious uh, could you imagine like it deciding to not take Kentucky and then your head coach leaves and they just clean house yeah I think I think this is what Liam Cohen had to do uh, all the reports are out that McVeigh basically told his entire staff like yeah if if somebody wants to hire you I might would recommend you go ahead and take that job So we'll see. Uh, But Cohen back in Lexington as the OC, and he has got some pieces to work with now. He's got Devin Leary coming in there. Of course, a transfer from NC State. Speaking of transfers, let's go through a nice little list of them. This is number six on the list, and I've got a few that we have got to hit on. The quarterback, Alan Bowman, is transferring to Oklahoma State. Of course, he's been at Michigan for a couple of years. I feel like Alan Bowman has been playing football for a decade. He was at Texas Tech. He transferred to Michigan for what I thought was his senior year. And I thought that was like three years ago. But Alan Bowman still has eligibility. He is going to be Mike Gundy's new quarterback, or at least one of them. Uh, Defensive back, Catalan, going from Arkansas to Texas. This is a pretty big deal for that defense. Uh, if, if Catalan can stay healthy, he is awesome. Like he is an immense talent. Uh, the running back, Brian Beatty, from South Florida to Auburn, he is. Quick, lightning quick. So I think he's going to be able to do some big things in Hugh Freeze's offense. Uh, The wide receiver, Jamari Thrash, is going from Georgia State to Louisville. Yeah, Uh, if you're a wide receiver, especially if you're a really good wide receiver, it makes sense to go and pair up with Jeff Brom. No matter who the quarterback's going to be at Louisville, I think you're probably going to have a better chance to put up some production at Louisville. Even as a, a second, third, fourth option, as opposed to being the number one wide receiver at Georgia State, where, yeah, let's just say that they like to run the football. They like to establish the line of scrimmage. Uh, you got Treshawn Ward, the running back from Florida State, heading to Kansas State. Uh, I think he's probably going to take over the spot that Deuce Vaughn leaves. You got tight end Jake Roberts. That's right, Jake the Snake. <laughs> leaving North Texas, he is going to transfer to Baylor, it was announced. Uh, got a couple more here. Wide receiver Josh Cobbs. That's right, Wyoming's uh, best wide-receiving threat. Again, Wyoming not exactly known for their passing acumen, uh, but they have produced some stellar wide receivers. Isaiah Nair and, of course, now Josh Cobbs. He is going to Houston. So Cobbs to Houston. And the last one here, a little noise about this one today. Offensive lineman Avery Jones is going from East Carolina to Auburn. And the reason this is making some noise is because Brett Bielema shared this thing out. And hey, you know what? I'm just going to pull it up on the screen since uh, since we are now at the end of the show here. But Brett Bielema, uh, he said, college football is changing every day. Hashtag NIL. It sounds like Avery Jones was talking a lot of game about going to Illinois. And at the last minute, flopped over to uh, Hugh Freeze and Bunch in Auburn. And, I mean, I can't blame him, but this this kid is 6'4", 299 pounds. I mean, looks awesome. The Auburn fans are just railing on him about being broke. Uh, yeah, it's... <laughs> it is so ridiculous. College football is, honestly, maybe i will I will say this. It is the most entertaining sport out there when you include the fan bases. That's what I'll say. All right, it's time to get out of here. You guys have been absolutely fantastic. I appreciate each and every one of you. like the video if you would so kindly again, toss in your city or town. I want to know where you guys are from, where you're watching from. would love to hear more information from you, more feedback. So toss it in there. Uh, give me some opinions on what has been going on. Give me some opinions on the college football national championship game that was just a complete and utter beating. I got to hear more from you. I would love to do it. All right. With that said, we'll be back later on in the week, probably on Thursday. There will be more news. There always is. There always is. With that said, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. And hopefully, all your tickets cash this week.